Hey, everybody, this is T.C. Rollins. For those of you joining us for the first time, I am an actor, writer, and musician, and I am also the co-host and producer of the Dirty Talk podcast. While I was researching the previous episode, The Problem with Masturbation, I was amazed to learn how many countries around the world have banned sex toys. Not just their sale, but their possession as well. Of course, as we've seen time and again, whenever something is made illegal, a black market fills the still-existent demand. And this is no different for the international market dedicated to contraband sex toy smuggling. The following story was written based on the information I discovered while investigating the very real world of clandestine sex toy dealers. Although this story is a work of fiction, none of the characters exist, and as far as I know, this plot never actually happened, it is based on actual events, and all the places and information presented is real. One last note before we jump into the story. If you want to support the things we're creating, come join our Patreon community at patreon.com backslash dirtytalkpodcast. Or, if you're not able to, that's fine as well, and you can support us by simply enjoying these things we have fun creating. That being said, I welcome you to sit back and enjoy the Silicone Slinger of Siam. For Tuesday, June 11th, 2019, I'm Terry Nolan. Our top story tonight. For five agonizing years, an American man named Benjamin Lowe, or as he is commonly referred to, the silicone slinger of Siam, has been locked away in a Thai prison infamous for its harsh disciplinary tactics and cruel conditions. Normally off-limits to the media, our reporter, Tom Elliott, takes us inside for a rare look at life behind the walls and an interview with Thailand's most notorious sex toy smuggler. Roughly seven miles north of Bangkok on this unassuming street that runs along the banks of the Chow Parai River, you'll find this unassuming red-trimmed white building behind me. A foreign tourist could easily pass it by without ever knowing the daily brutality that goes on behind these yellow gates. This is the Bang Quang Central Prison, also known as the Bangkok Hilton, or as the locals call it, Big Tiger, because of its tendencies to eat and stalk prisoners. Originally built in the 1930s to house 3,500 prisoners, roughly 8,000 now call it home. Its severe overcrowding means that upwards of 60 to 70 men share a cell no larger than a western living room. Sleeping head to foot, most prisoners don't have enough room to turn over without touching the person next to them. The richest and more privileged get to sleep by the door, 
the farthest away from the open hole in the ground that serves as the prison cell's lone toilet. To make matters worse, every prisoner is required to wear shackles 24 hours a day for the first three months of their stay. It is here in this place, which is regularly ranked in the top five worst prisons in the world, where we interviewed Benjamin Lowe, who is on the fifth year of a 30-year sentence he received in 2014 after being caught with thousands of various Chinese-made sex toys he was attempting to smuggle into the country. Normally, visitors are only allowed to talk with prisoners through wire mesh fences, separated by three feet, but the Thai government was kind enough to let us meet inside this room on prison grounds, provided that his guards were present at all times, and Benjamin remained shackled in his chair. How would you describe life here inside Bang Kwang Prison? How would I describe life? This is a fucking joke. Well, what can you tell us about the conditions? The conditions? Let me put it this way. Think of the worst day you've ever had. And now multiply that by a thousand. And make that every single fucking day. You're locked inside this cell for like 15 hours a day in a space just barely big enough for your body. And you're with 60 other guys, half of which are batshit crazy. It's hardly ever below 80 degrees outside, but all the people crammed in together make it unbearably hot. So you're sweating constantly. And this open pit of fucking shit soup in the room. It's constantly pumping out the worst smell you've ever had in your nose. It's happened a couple times where I've woken up and the guy next to me has died in the middle of the night. And then every morning there's this mad dash for everybody to go and wash themselves with this polluted river water, which is the only stuff they give us to clean with. And they give you one meal a day, which is just one plastic bag full of rice and another plastic bag full of foul fish soup. Anything else you want, you gotta buy it on your own. So the poor guys, they got nothing. I don't know. How would you describe the conditions here? Our interview with Benjamin started out rocky. Obviously spending five years living under extreme conditions had taken its toll on him emotionally, and in his years of dealing with the Southeast Asian underworld, it had hardened him considerably. Uh, most people here are in here for drug possessions, but not you. You were caught with thousands of sex toys. What made you decide to smuggle sex toys into the country? Was it a stance against the country's morality laws? No, I did it for the money. What the hell's what I do it for? I don't care if people have easy access to a dildo when they want one. I'm sure it'd make a great story for you if I was doing it for some social cause. If I was standing up against the conservative sexual repression that the government enforces. You know, I heard once that the first vibrator was made by Cleopatra when she put a bunch of bees in this gourd and then started rubbing it up against herself to see if she could get off from it. 
People have always tried to find new and exciting ways to get their kicks. And if you try and limit their options, they'll find a way around it. I think people should have access to just about anything they want to purchase. But there was no altruism behind what I did. Just like there wasn't any for these guys in here that were smuggling heroin. For me, it was just pure profit motive. I saw a market, and I exploited it. So then, why sex toys and not something else? Where did you get the idea to do this in the first place? Oh, that's easy. January 13th, 2007. Dubai International Airport. You got the idea to smuggle sex toys into Thailand 12 years ago in Dubai? No. That was the day I found out there was a market for illegal sex toys. How was that? Well, I had just flown into Dubai from London. At the time, I was working as a junior executive for Bear Stearns. At the time of the interview, we were unaware of most of Benjamin's past beyond his 2014 arrest for violating Thailand's ban on lewd products. We were surprised by his assertion that he had previously been a low-level executive for what was once one of Wall Street's major investment banks. Was it possible that someone who had formerly worked in the world of high finance could find himself in one of the world's most shockingly hellish prisons? In an attempt to corroborate his story, we investigated his claims. Benjamin Maximilian Lowe was born on March 14, 1979, in Chicago, Illinois, to Edwin and Louise Lowe. When he was one year old, his father received a job with the Department of Defense and moved the family to Reston, Virginia, a suburb about 20 miles west of Washington, D.C. After graduating high school, he attended the University of Pennsylvania and subsequently graduated with an MBA in finance from the Wharton School of Business and was recruited to join Bear Stearns in 2005. They had been working on expanding into Saudi Arabia, and it looked like this joint deal with Prince Mishal bin Abdul bin Turk al-Saad was just a few months away from closing. Since Morgan Stanley had been providing full security services in Dubai since 2006, they thought uh, the next logical step was to move into the UAE. You see, a week earlier, I had flown to London for this financial conference where I met up with some friends from college. And then as a joke, one of them gave me this cheap, vibrating pocket pussy. He said that I would need it to keep myself occupied in the hotel room at night if I kept doing these international business trips. So I shoved it in my suitcase when I got back to the hotel and completely forgot about it. A couple of days later, I get the call from them telling me to fly down to Dubai to meet up with some of these financial services guys there. So I got off the airplane, and I'm going through customs, and I just put my bag into the scanner when this guy operating the machine flagged this other guy over. That guy grabbed the bag out of the machine, and the next thing I knew, a couple of these security guys were coming up on me. And they grab me by my arm and lead me off down this side corridor to this tiny little room. And they pushed me through the door. And there in this room, they had my suitcase up on the table. And I had no idea what was going on. 
In my mind, there had been some mistake. And the only thing I could think of was that they had accidentally mistaken something in my bag for drugs or something. They asked me if the bag is mine. And I told him it was. And this guy opened it in front of me and started removing all my things from it. And when he gets to the pocket pussy, he holds it up to my face. I look at him and he's just got this disdainful look. And he's grasping this thing in his tight little latexed gloved hand. And he asks me in this gruff way, Is this yours? But the, you know, the look on his face and the whole absurdity of the situation made me laugh. I couldn't help myself. So I said, yeah, it's mine. That belongs to me. But I said, ah, don't worry. I guarantee it's not a weapon or anything like that. The only thing I thought about at that moment was that scene in Fight Club where they're talking about the dildos in the airport and sometimes one of the vibrators will go off and they think it's a bomb or something. But they can never attribute ownership of the device. It's never your dildo. It's always the dildo. So I'm thinking, okay, yeah, it's the vibrator was in my bag. So I thought maybe it had accidentally started vibrating in my bag and they thought it was some sort of explosive device. However, they weren't laughing. This is very serious, he says. They asked if I knew that such things were expressly forbidden in the country. I had no fucking idea. I thought it never crossed my mind that there was this country out there where sex tourists were illegal and they took possession of them so seriously. They then proceeded to take pictures of me and then pictures of the fake pussy and then of me holding the pussy. And then I had to sign this citation that said that I would be registered as a person attempting to enter the country with contraband and then they fined me 250 bucks. They let me go with a warning, but said that if I ever did it again, I'd face jail time. And then they put everything except for the pussy back in my bag, and they sent me on my way. I asked what was going to happen with the pussy, and they said, we'll take care of it, it's going to be destroyed or some shit. So I make it out to the reception area, finally, and my contact that I was meeting to give me a ride was worried because it had taken so long, and he thought something had happened to me. I apologized to him, and I just explained the whole situation to him and how much bullshit it was. I told him the whole experience was so bizarre, and I never thought I'd almost get arrested over this chunk of rubber for me to put my cock in. He informed me that it was indeed a serious offense in that country, and every other Arab country for that matter. He also thought that it wasn't likely that the toy would actually be destroyed. He told me that one of the agents would probably... Keep it for himself or he'll sell it on the black market. He said it was too bad that it was taken because he would have given me the 250 bucks for it if I had still had it. And even then, he said that would be a great price for that sort of thing. Those things sold for hundreds of dollars in the country. I didn't realize that there was such a demand for them and that the market price could be so extreme. Of course, it tickled my business brain to no end. I told him that if I ever came back, I'd try and get something in for him. We reached out to the customs department at the Dubai airport to get copies of the pictures taken of Benjamin on that day and obtain a copy of the citation issued or record of destruction for the seized artificial vagina. 
We were told that they would not discuss individual cases, but they do regularly confiscate such items from unaware foreign travelers, and any contraband they impound is destroyed. When asked if it was possible that one of their agents might personally keep the item, as Benjamin's business associate claimed, they only reiterated that all seized items were appropriately destroyed. Did you ever bring anything into the country for your business associate? Yeah, a few months later, they had me fly back out there for another round of meetings with the same firm. And I had remembered what had happened my first time through. So I thought to myself, fuck those guys. They treated me like I was some sort of criminal, and I wasn't. It's not like I had a gun or some drugs or something on me. They just made this big deal as if I had. I guess I've always had this defiant streak, so I wanted to see if I could get something through just for fun. You know, kind of like a big middle finger to those guys that had nabbed me previously. Before I flew out, I bought this silicone vagina ass combo. It was basically a five inch long tube, and one end looked like a pair of pussy lips, and the other looked like a puckered asshole. You know what I mean. Yes, I'm aware of those. So I take it with me in my carry-on. And before we landed in Dubai, I went to the restroom on the plane and secured it to my thigh with an ace bandage. I figured if somebody gave me the pat-down, they'd just think I was hung. I walked right through security. Of course, I was fucking nervous as hell the whole time. But then on the other side, I pulled it out of my pants and stuck it back in the, my bag in the restroom. That same guy didn't meet me at the airport, but I met up with him a couple of nights later and gave it to him. He couldn't believe I had brought it for him and offered me 200 bucks for it, but I refused the money and told him it had only cost me like 20 bucks and the thrill I got from sneaking it in was worth it. Then he says if I could figure out how to get any more in, we'd be able to make a ton of money. I laughed it off because I thought there was no fucking way... I'd be able to get any more in there. And it wouldn't even be worth it if I had to do one at a time shoved down my pants. But you did end up smuggling more into Thailand years later. Yeah. But the funny thing was, I was completely wrong. Way before any of that Southeast Asia shit, I actually started out by moving them into the UAE after all. You weren't worried that it would jeopardize your job in finance? I don't see how smuggling illegal sex toys into a foreign country could ever be appealing if you were making money as an investment banker. Sure, but when you're desperate, you get creative. What do you mean? Look, I gave that ass pussy to him in May of 2007. Ten months later, I didn't have shit. A couple of days after my birthday, the company I worked for didn't even exist anymore. Most of my savings was tied up in the market, which essentially took a belly flop off a cliff. I couldn't find another job, because the whole financial sector was ruined, and every other person I knew was out of a job as well. I lost my apartment and moved back in with my parents. I was almost 30, and was basically back to zero. So you decided the best way out of that hole was becoming an adult novelty toy smuggler? Sure. Why not? I was thinking of any way I could to make some money. 
I remembered that conversation I'd had with the guy the previous year, and this distorted supply and demand market for that kind of thing was there. I thought it was insane. People were so desperate to fuck a piece of plastic that they would pay these astronomical prices for it just because their religious government told them they couldn't. I still think half the reason they were willing to pay so much was because of the taboo around it. You know, I've been all over the place. And from what I've seen, a lot of people, a lot of the times, they just want to do shit just because they're told they can't. Here I was sitting on a gold mine. It didn't even matter if it was a high quality toy or not. I could pick them up cheap wholesale for just a few dollars and then turn around and sell them for a few hundred. The only thing that creates that sort of market inefficiency is government sanctions. It was basically business 101. I just had to find a way to exploit the inefficiencies and get the product to the market. But that was the problem I couldn't get my head around. Those countries are locked down tight. There wasn't any way I could get them in through any of the normal channels. But you were able to get them in. Yeah. It suddenly hit me one day. My youngest brother was in the Air Force, and he was stationed in Saudi Arabia. He was this big Harry Potter fan, but he couldn't get any of the books or the movies there because they were banned because of witchcraft or some shit. But we were able to send them to him through the APO. The APO? Yeah, the Army Post Office. The packages don't go through normal shipping routes. They're flown all over the world on military planes, and then distributed at the bases. So you were using the U.S. military to smuggle contraband sex aids into the country? Yeah. Probably one of the most humanitarian things the military has ever done. So I asked my brother if he knew how I could get them into Dubai since he was practically right next door. He told me that an Air Force buddy of his was actually an APO package handler at Al Dafara Air Base, just south of Abu Dhabi, and only about an hour and a half drive from Dubai. Benjamin refused to give us any information about his business associate in Dubai, but we were able to contact Benjamin's younger brother, Robert Lowe, about the incident. Robert has since been discharged from military service and is working for a marijuana cooperative in Washington State. He agreed to speak to us via video conference about his involvement in the Arabian sex toy smuggling scheme. How did your brother initially approach you about shipping a large quantity of sex toys into the United Arab Emirates? So I get this call from him out of the blue and he's like, hey, I want to ship a bunch of dildos to this guy in Dubai can you help me out? So I was like, oh, oh, your boyfriend needs a dildo because you're not around enough? So he tells me to grow up and stop acting like such a fucking cum stain and tries to tell me that he's only sending this guy the dildos in a strictly business-like fashion. He also tells me that there could be some money in it for me too if I can make this happen. So I hit up my boy over in Abu Dhabi who was running the mail over there and I was like, hey, my brother wants to send a bunch of rubber dicks to this guy he met on a business trip. 
of course, we had this good laugh about it, but then I told him he was serious and he thought we might be able to make a buck or two out of it. So he's all, yeah, we could do that. When I told Ben it was a go, he was super excited. And then he told me how much they were planning on selling the dildos for. And I was like, bullshit. No one's going to pay $300 for some rubber fuck stick. But then I talked to this other guy I was kind of tight with in the Saudi military. And he told me, yeah, they definitely would. And if I could get him some, then he would definitely cut me off a piece. So I told Ben to mail me a few dicks as well. I unloaded them on this guy and we made bank. Rob told me that it was good to go to ship the items to his buddy in Abu Dhabi. And then he and my contact would meet somewhere halfway to exchange them. My associate would then wire me the money. And then I would distribute the funds to everybody else. Then Rob started asking me to ship some to him because this guy he knew in the Saudi military was interested in getting involved. So I started staggering packages between him and the UAE every other month. We didn't want to press our luck by sending too many and getting flagged. What kind of items were you sending? Small things, mainly pocket pussies, dildos, and vibrators. I tried to find the lightest things I could because one of the drawbacks of using the APO was that you were limited to a max of 70 pounds per package, which meant we could only fit around 80 items per box. So even though I was buying everything wholesale for a couple of bucks and was getting back a couple hundred per after paying everyone off, I was only pocketing about 10k per shipment, which was crazy because it was like 4,000% profit. But there just wasn't any room to scale up unless we started shipping more packages. But that really wasn't an option. Was that what made you stop shipping to the Arabian Peninsula and start focusing on Thailand? No, we kept it going for about a year, and then the guy in Abu Dhabi got transferred. And we decided to close up shop. I still liked the idea and started looking around for other places that I might be able to pull off the same thing. Yeah, but on a larger scale. As far as I knew, sex toys were only illegal in the Muslim countries, but it was too difficult trying to get them in. What really surprised me when I started looking was how many other countries around the world had banned their sale. Hell, they were even illegal in Alabama, but there wasn't any black market for them there. They weren't illegal to possess, they were just illegal to sell. But people still got around it if they made up some bullshit claim that they were for medical or educational or scientific purpose. What really stuck out to me, though, was Southeast Asia. They're banned in practically every country around here. Thailand, Vietnam, Cambodia, Malaysia. It was basically just this one big market all nestled together. Did you already have contacts in Southeast Asia to facilitate your move into the market? No, I didn't even know if there would even be enough demand to be profitable. All I knew was what I could find online. The toys were illegal because of the highly conservative culture in the area. I decided to fly to Bangkok to check it out. I was blown away by what I found. You've been around this city, you've seen what it's like. Technically, prostitution is illegal, but it's still practiced openly. Just like sex toys are illegal... 
but you can still find some in street stalls. The vendors pay off the cops and they look the other way as long as it's convenient for them. But it's still easier to get a hooker than find a butt plug. One you have to really search out and the other practically falls in your lap. It was nothing like the Arab countries where any slight indiscretion would get you busted. But that also meant that the market imbalance wasn't the same. Sure, the price here are still super inflated. A basic dildo will cost you about a hundred bucks, or a cheap set of anal beads will be like seventy dollars. So there was still plenty of money to be made. It just wasn't the astronomically inflated prices I'd been previously seeing in the Arab countries. The only thing that made it tempting, though, was the lax enforcement and the rampant corruption meant that I could move larger quantities to make up for the price disparity. Still, the whole situation seemed absurd. You know, think about it. Here was this country that's about a hundred miles south of China, which is the world's largest producer of any kind of sex toy you could imagine. And you can buy them there for practically nothing. But they were still so scarce in this country that they cost almost a quarter of the average person's monthly wage. That's what absolutely blew my fucking mind. How did you get the toys into the country? That was the easy part. I'd pretty much figured out that part already. But I didn't want to even bring anything in until I had buyers. It would have been a nightmare if I couldn't unload them. Imagine me holed up in some Bangkok hotel room with a few hundred vibrators or whatever, trying to piecemeal them out. Any good businessman knows you need to find the customers before you find the product. There's no point in pulling out your dick if you're just going to stand there with it in your hand. I hung out in the red light district for a couple of months. I made some connections with the various people running the underground sex shops. Once I felt like I had enough interested buyers, I went up to China and bought a thousand different dildos, vibrators, cock rings, cock sleeves, you name it. I got them dirt cheap. And I chartered a boat from Xiambana to carry me down to the Thailaoshan border where I'd arranged for this truck to meet me. We'd offload the boxes at night and then drive the rest of the way into Bangkok with them. Sometimes I'd bribe a few policemen on the way, but we didn't really have any trouble with it. But you eventually did have trouble. How many times did you do this before you were arrested? Oh, fuck if I know. I lost count. I'd make a run a couple of times a month. The money was great, and it went even further because I was living here full-time now, and everything's pretty cheap here. I kept making new connections and started shipping things to Phuket and Khao Penang. I was even introduced to some contacts in Cambodia and Vietnam. The demand wasn't as high there, but there was still a market. After a couple of years, I bought my own boat to motor up and down the river. I basically lived on it. By then I had this network of guys that would distribute the toys throughout the countries so I even rarely had to leave the boat. It was basically a floating sex shop, non-stop party. I'd head up to China, load up on fake butts, strap-ons, ball spreaders, you name it. I even had some full-size sex dolls. 
Then I'd take this leisurely pace just floating down the Mekong and dropping cargo at various predetermined spots all the way along until I hit the Delta. And then I'd turn around and I'd cruise back up and collect the cash all the way up. And I'd go back up to China and load up and do it all over again. I was having the time of my life. I'd paid off most of the officials on the river. Everyone knew me and they would pretty much leave us alone. We interviewed Lara Tass, a girlfriend of Benjamin's that was present on a number of trips up and down the Mekong. She still lives in Thailand and regularly visits with him in prison and deposits money in his commissary fund. How did you first meet Benjamin? It was at this great little speakeasy bar down an alley in Vientiane. That's in Laos, right? <laughs> yeah, it's the capital of Laos. It's right on the river across from Thailand. So I'd been backpacking through Laos with some friends of mine, and we were stopping in the city before we were going to go over into Thailand. So we were at this bar, and we were having a great time, and he came in and started buying us drinks and dancing with us. We were partying for a couple of hours, and then the place started to shut down, so he invited us back to his boat to keep the party going. We decided, why not? He seemed pretty cool and followed him back there. We were kind of surprised at first when we went on board because there were like hundreds of dildos and things all over the place. And we were like, whoa, what kind of freaky shit is this guy into? But he explained that this was his business and that he went around selling sex toys to people in these different countries because their governments said like they couldn't have them. And he was like, fuck that. I'm bringing sex toys to the people. And then me and my friends um, thought he was awesome because we've always been super sex positive. And here was this guy who was like Robin Hood because he was breaking the law, but for a good cause because he was giving the sex toys to the poor people who needed them. And like, fuck you, government. The people have spoken and they want a vibrator. Then he tells us that he's going on this trip down the river and we can come with him if we want because there's plenty of space on the boat, but he was going to be leaving the next afternoon. So that night we went back to the hostel and talked about it and decided that we had to do it. It was like a once in a lifetime experience. How many people get to say that they got to adventure down a river in Southeast Asia on a dildo boat? So we set off with him the next day and it was epic. What was life like on the boat? It was the most fun I had ever had. We would just float along and there would be nothing to do but just drink and have sex and get high and lay in the sun. It was just slow and lazy. We'd just stay up all night and go to sleep whenever. We'd stop at different places to unload some dildos and then hit the town for drinks and met other travelers and would bring them back on the boat. Sometimes... There would just be 15 to 20 random people on board just floating, going wherever the current took us. We'd have orgies. I mean, there were sex toys everywhere. How could we not? The nighttime was the best part when we'd drop acid or ecstasy. We'd be practically in the middle of nowhere and it would be pitch black outside. And you could see every star that ever was and the boat would be all lit up with Christmas lights and we'd have 60s acid rock blaring. Ben always wanted to have 60s music playing. It made it feel like we were in Apocalypse Now. 
But we weren't going to find some stupid military general or whatever. We were spreading love and vibrators. You want to know what it was like on the boat? It was magic. How long were you with him on the boat? I was with him for a couple years. My friends got off in Vietnam, but I decided to head back up to China with him. I dropped out of college before our trip to Laos because I didn't really know what I wanted to do with my life. I found it there with Ben on the river. I felt at home, and even though I knew it was just a business for him, I felt like we were doing something meaningful. I felt like we were bringing pleasure to people who had just been denied it. Were you on the boat with him when he got arrested? Yeah, I was. I think that was the saddest day of my life. We had something really special on that boat. And then it all came crashing down and I knew life would never be the same again. What happened that caused you to get arrested? It seemed like you were pretty set. You had been paying people to prevent that sort of thing from happening. What changed? It was just a bunch of bullshit. It was purely political. I had gotten to know his various government officials that I would pay to look the other way. Unfortunately, I guess I was paying off some of the wrong ones. After the military coup in May of 2014, when the officials sold me out to further his own standing in the new government, I was making my usual stop around Nankai when they came up on me. I thought it would be the usual deal. They'd come on the boat and pretend to look around, and we'd have a few beers before I handed them some cash, and then they'd be on their way. But this time, they pulled their guns, and they said I was under arrest. I thought they were fucking with me at first, so I cracked a beer and reached out to hand it to one of the guys. He slaps it out of my hand, and they then proceed to knock me to the deck and handcuff me. They kicked everyone else off the boat and impounded it and all the sex toys as evidence. It was just pure luck when we didn't have any drugs on the boat at that time or I probably would have gotten the death penalty. You know, they take that sort of thing pretty seriously around here. I went to court and the judge told me that what I was doing was reprehensible and against the views of Thai society and offensive to most Thais. She also stated that People who have those kind of urges that would want to use my products should instead meditate or visit a local temple or practice sports or some shit. I don't know if she really believed in what she was saying. For all I know, when she got home, she might have used one of my own products. You know, I guarantee that for a few years there, there wasn't a single dildo in the country that someone fucked themselves with that didn't come through me. So, they gave me 30 years, and I've been sitting in this shithole ever since. Although he is currently incarcerated in unimaginably gruesome conditions behind these walls, Benjamin Lowe's fortunes might be turning in the future. He has petitioned for a transfer under the 1982 Execution of Penal Sentences Treaty between the U.S. and Thailand. If the appeal is accepted, he will face only a few more years in prison here and then be transferred to U.S. authorities. Following his transfer, he will most likely only spend a couple of months in U.S. custody. From Bangkwang Central Prison in Thailand, this is Tom Elliott for The Rundown.
Thank you, Tom, for that fascinating story. Coming up after the break, penguins in the Lincoln bedroom. Our reporter, Lucindia Mendez, takes us deep into the sex scandal that has shaken the White House and the lingering aftershocks in Washington, D.C. I'm Terry Nolan. Stick with us. (laughs) 